Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The they there is the Magi. When the Magi had, had left, and we're going to return home. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So Holy Spirit, we come to your inspired word here, we look at it, and we ask that you teach us and shape us and help us to understand uh, some things and be reminded of some things that we may have already thought upon. But uh, we pray that you take this hour and embolden us and strengthen us. Always asking this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So these Magi uh, leave after having seen uh, Joseph and Mary and uh, the, the baby. And then uh, Joseph is warned in a dream, take the child and flee to Egypt. And we see that this uh, repeatedly mentioned here in this passage about prophecy being fulfilled all through the, the Christmas story, uh, we are told that certain events are there to fulfill prophecy. So we know that much is given. But here is Mary and Joseph. They have this baby, all that they've experienced. Mary being with child, the, the virgin birth, and Joseph being uncertain, but being uh, told in a, in a dream by the angel to, to continue in the way that the Lord had planned for them. So this wonderful event with this child being born, and then they're told to flee to Egypt. They're, they're told to, to flee the area in which they were familiar, Bethlehem and, and Nazareth. So... Uh, Herod is, is furious, and he has in mind to kill all of these children in Bethlehem. Now, some of the pictures that we have of that event perhaps would be that there was this mass slaughter of children, and it was wicked enough, that is for sure, but 
The, the scholars remind us that Bethlehem was a small town, maybe 500 people perhaps at the time, in that surrounding area there, a small rural area, maybe 20, 30, 40 children, which is enough for sure, but maybe not kind of the maybe thousands that come to mind perhaps when we see this story. So there's this, this evil that's taking place, this wonderful picture that we have in the Christmas story, all that's involved in that. Wonderful, beautiful picture. The wise men coming, the magi from, from the east, and then the evil of Herod rising, rising up, determined to kill these children. He's thinking that his power, his throne is being threatened, and he's going to put and end to that and so they do go to Egypt we aren't told in scripture where they go to but many think they may have gone to Alexandria which is on the coast of Egypt up on the Mediterranean Sea at the time of Jesus at this time time of Mary and Joseph it's reported that there were about a million Jews in Alexandria and so if they were going in that direction to Egypt, they might have gone to an area where there was a population of Jews and when they would, would have a community to uh, be part of. But anyway, they go there to Egypt and then God tells them to go back and to return. But then Joseph is fearful that uh, this one who had replaced Herod, a son, Archelaus, he replaced Herod and was just as evil as Herod was. And so Joseph then is directed to go on to Galilee and, and be in Nazareth. And Jesus, of course, being called uh, Nazarene. So we have quite a picture. We have this beautiful, wonderful picture on the one hand that we've thought about over the past week. And, and we do annually as thinking about uh, Christmas and the birth of Jesus but then we have this rise of evil Herod wanting to kill all of these these children and then so much evil so much pressure that this family is is directed to flee the area flee go to Egypt and then return and we're told that this is to fu fulfill prophecy but it does cause us to think I wonder cause me to think I wonder what was going through the mind of Mary and Joseph. What, what would be going through their mind and what was God doing? What was God, how was God operating in that wickedness? So that's what I want us to think about today. This unexpected, from the standpoint of Mary and Joseph, unexpected evil. We may be familiar with it now, being familiar with this, this, the story, but they sure would have been. It would have been, it would have been, been totally unexpected this child this this one coming from God and the joy that that brings and the joy that they had been surrounded with and then this evil coming in and pushing them to go into a foreign area an area that they were not uh, wasn't their home so what was going through their minds well, as we start here thinking along those lines, let's turn to Luke chapter 1. There's a section there called the Magnificat. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56. This is a song of Mary. 
And I think we can understand, we can think there, we can grasp hold of what Mary's thinking through this song of praise that she offers. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, this is after she had visited Elizabeth prior to the birth of Jesus. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now as we read this, as we look through this passage, think of it in terms of Mary's view, her mindset concerning God. Well, we can say on one hand, of course, Mary worshipped God. Or we, can, we can think that. But let's look a little more specifically what Mary's thinking with regard to God. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, meaning Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Well, this passage helps us to see what's, what's in Mary's mind. Of course, she, she carries the child, delivers the child, but now they're fleeing to Egypt. But what is the mindset of this young woman? And that mindset very likely would have been shared, adopted by Joseph. They were one that together they had been committed to one another to go through this very unusual, one-of-a-kind experience. We see Mary saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. Where does her, her spirit rejoice? It rejoices not in her circumstances, in God. Rejoices in God, my Savior. Of course, she outlines He's done wonderful things through her, but her joy is in God. Look what He has done. For He has looked on the humble estate of his servant look what he has done look at the look at the power that god has done in the humble estate of her, her her being his servant being very humble from humble backgrounds a humble background for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty what does she think about god he is mighty She's looking there in generations to come for behold from now on all generations. She's looking out to the future. What will the future look like? All, all the generations will call her, her blessed, bringing her great joy in, in her, her heart. He who is mighty, he who is strong, has done great things for me. She's remembering what a great thing he has done, God has done for her. He who is mighty, he is the God. 
has done mighty things for me and holy meaning separate or distinct holy is his name and his mercy is a merciful God has mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation what a teaching that is his mercy people looking for mercy all over the globe for those who fear him those who respect him those who are honoring to him those who he who fear him he has shown mercy from generation to generation he'll continue to show that mercy he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart confused the proud in the thoughts of their heart he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate well how did what does that mean how can they make sense of that brought down those who are mighty well has he brought down Herod I mean they're gonna to go to Egypt <laughs> about the son of Herod brought down the mighty he has filled the hungry with good things well it seems like there have been periods of history when God's people have been very much hungry and lacked food he has filled the hungry with good things and and the rich he has sent away empty from a spiritual point of view a spiritual context this all becomes very very real he's exalted those of humble estate we read all through the scriptures those who are humble before God he he exalts he lifts up and those who are hungry spiritually those who who are, are needing that spiritual food that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount he's filled them filled them with that that hunger much more important than actual physical food the rich the ones that who think they're proud and they don't they don't need the Messiah he sent them away they'll continue to have hunger throughout their life they're, he's not they have not been filled verse 54 he has helped his ser servant Israel what's her mindset he has helped his servant Israel is to be the servant of God his servant Israel he has helped the Messiah has come now they didn't operate that way through their history but they're called they're identified as being the servant of God in remembrance of his mercy he has done that he has spoke to our as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever well we can in one word we can say Mary is glorifying God in her heart all of these things glorifying God in her heart what does she think of God that might not surprise us again we're so familiar with Mary and our pictures of her whatever they might be from culture from scripture from church what whatever that might be but taking a look here at, at, at her mindset on what God is doing in this very difficult moment remember she has not had the child yet she's now cast for sure in this in this culture people looking down upon her wondering you know you're not wed yet and you're pregnant what oh, you are you are a sinner of sinners outcast from our community and in that 
She's magnifying the greatness and the wonders of God. She's so convinced of what God has done. Of course, she would be, but so convinced, knowing in herself, in her own body, of what God is doing. Is doing. She's so, so driven by her belief and her understanding of who God is. So why think about that in the context of Herod? This is Mary's mindset. This would be Joseph's mindset, although it's not laid out for us like it is for Mary. But they're together. They're one flesh, union, and they're going to go to Egypt. Uh, they haven't, they, they haven't uh, cast away their thought of God. God is a mighty God, a merciful God, a powerful God. Their spirit rejoices in what God has done in their life and is doing through them for their nation. They're rejoicing even though they're fleeing evil, the evil of Herod. So as we think as the, the, the title of the message today, an unexpected path, this would be an unexpected to them, the unexpected to anyone, I, I suppose, having... Uh, this miraculous work taking place in your life and then having to flee to another country. It's good for us to, to just remind ourselves, let Scripture remind us some things about God and how, how God is operating. We want to apply these to our own life ultimately as well too. What Scripture tells us, what we learn from the Bible is that God has a mission and His mission is that His name would be supremely cherished among the nations. His name, and when we use the word name, that's all of God, who God is. The name, this name, Yahweh, the God of Israel, not the God of that people over there or that people over there. This particular God, that His name would be supremely cherished among the nations. Now some of these themes, including this one, are recurring. We see in the Gospel of John, we've seen that rise, this kind of of an idea rise, the name of God, the name of Jesus. When we looked in depth in the book of Luke, that same theme rising, the name of God, this particular God being cherished, supremely cherished among the nations. That's God's mission. His name would be cherished, exalted above all other names, all other things, the name of God. Why? Because God is the fountain of all that's good. His own integrity, His own holiness, you do it for that sake alone. But also for His people, God is the fountain of everything that is truly, truly good. And so for Him to exalt His name, lift, lift up His name, so that people would look to Him and He is the most important person, the most important important peace to my life, most cherished of any inheritance, of any person, of any child, of any grandchild, any career, the most, very literally, the most cherished thing, person, attribute of our lives and of the nations. That's God's mission because that's that's his name. He's going to protect his name, but it's also what's best for his people. We wouldn't want to worship a God that wouldn't be on the lookout for what is best for us, would we? Ezekiel gets to the point here, and Ezekiel 36, 
which is included in your listening guide. Therefore, I say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned. Notice how many times the word profane is, is mentioned. And this profaning that's mentioned here is not only a word or a phrase that's used, it's with life in general, profaned his name among them. And the nations will know that I am Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you, well, Mary would say through his servant Israel, through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. We could go to many other passages along the same lines. God is about his name being exalted among the nations, being lifted up high, being cherished. Cherished, the most cherished thing in the, in the nation, which nations made up of people. And so the most cherished piece of a person's life. Well, he has a plan. And God's plan is that he calls people to this very important work. He calls people to actively work in fulfilling his mission. God could do it himself in some kind of surprising, spectacular, supernatural way, but he is going to use human beings, his human creatures, his redeemed people, the people who have found union with God through Christ, he's going to be using his people to announce his greatness to the nations so that the nations would cherish. He's going to use you to announce to the nations in your family room, the nations being perhaps a family member or perhaps a neighbor, He's going to use you to announce to the nations in, in your workplace. It is going to use you to announce to the nations, perhaps going to a foreign land and learning a different language, but many not doing that. Many planted right where they are. He's going to use his people to work towards this vision, his name being great. Jesus, who does this? Mary, Joseph. Who does, who does that? His name being great. Isn't that what he's doing? He's using Mary. He's using Joseph. Those magi come from all that long distance, all that way from the east. Why isn't it from the east? God using people for what purpose? For his name to be made great. No other God from the east or anywhere else is like this God. Have you seen what he has done in Jesus? The shepherds declaring and praising God for what he has, has done. The angels themselves. God is about that mission of his name being cherished and he's got a plan and he does call disciples. God's call. He calls disciples to exalt him. He calls us. He calls Christians. Christian believers. He calls us to exalt God. How do we do that? By exalting Jesus. The name of Jesus. Honoring Jesus in in all of our life. That's the mission of God, that His name would be made great. 
His, he is great. Whether we want to fall in with that mission or not, his name is supreme and it, it is great in the universe. There is no other higher name, but people don't accept that. They don't realize that. And so God sends his people on mission to announce that. That's why missionaries go overseas. That's why missionaries go from their home in Danville and to the grocery store in, Dan, in Danville. And there are missionaries there to the, to the nations. And given whatever circumstance they're in, announcing that Jesus, God is great through Jesus. Calling us to be part of that. And so God shapes His people. He shapes His people to be these witnesses for Him. And as He, as he shapes disciples, causing us to grow to be more like Jesus. Well, really, he, what He does is He gives us a, a, a vocation. Now, we can think of a vocation rightly as as our employment, our paid employment. But for God's people, His servant Israel, His servant, the church, for God's people, really the, the vocation, the, the call is the, the vocation, whether, whatever walk of life we might be in, in a very minor, a very limited number of people in a vocationally paid vocationally in churches or that way, but people, his people moving and working through the world, whatever avenue of life that they're in, the vocation, their calling, their primary task is to exalt God through Jesus. So he shapes us, moves in, in us, the Spirit being in us, so that becomes a reality that we taste it. And so God's people want to be near God. God's people want to know God. Know God as much as they know themselves. Know God as much as they know a family member. More so. They, 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 they are shaped. God shapes us in such a way that we want to hear from God. You can remember, can't you, but not wanting to hear from God. I can remember that about my own life. Not, one, not, not being interested, not caring. He shapes us so we want to hear from God. He shapes us so that we want to talk with God, that we want to share our heart with God. He, he, he shapes us. He shapes His people who are about this work. The shapes them to want to worship God with their life, devote their lives to God. He shapes them so they want to do that. He shapes His people so they are captivated with His mission. All-consuming. That's their vocation. That's what they live for. And you can kind of see that in, in Mary and Joseph. That's what they live for. My soul magnifies the Lord wherever they go. Egypt, Galilee, got Herod on the picture, then Herod's son, and then the ridicule that they would, would come their way. But they're all about this living for God and cherishing 
God and, and locking into and living for that vision, announcing whether they knew it or articulating it the way we're thinking about it now. But we want to magnify God. We want people to know this is the great God of the universe working in our lives. God shaping us so that we would want to know Him. That we would be captivated with His vision. Matthew puts it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give you great praise in your life. No, 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 no. It doesn't say that. So they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's his mission. That people would get glory. I want that God. I want that God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true God of Israel. I want Jesus to be, I want Him in my life so that the nations would see that and they would cherish that, they would eat it. So, that's the mindset of God. That's God's mission. That's, that's, that's God's vision for the, the world. Well, now evil comes into the life of Mary and Joseph in the person of Herod. So what can we draw out from, from them for our life? You'd have to say with Mary and, and Joseph and then the others that we see, the prophets, the apostles, in the face of evil, God's people, because He shapes us, he, he helps us grow to be more like Jesus who has the, the mission of God is all-consuming for Jesus. And God is not the business of shaping us into the likeness of, of Jesus. They're determined. They are determined to serve God. They're committed. They have a, a determined commitment to what will bring the greatest satisfaction and the greatest contentment to their life. That's what we see in the apostles. That's what we see in John. That's what we see in, in, in Luke. We see in James, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses. Determined commitment. Committed to, bring, to that which brings the greatest satisfaction and contentment to life. What would bring you the greatest satisfaction in your life? I can tell you what would bring the greatest satisfaction. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I can tell you what would bring the greatest satisfaction. A lot of things might bring satisfaction. The greatest is that somebody that you communicate with comes to understand God works in them. God changes them so that they themselves exalt Jesus. <laughs> God using your life so that they would be 
exalting Jesus. They, they would be cherishing God. There's nothing in this world that they would do to dishonor God. Nothing in this world that they would do to dishonor Jesus. That would bring you the greatest satisfaction in your life. Same for me. The greatest satisfaction, the greatest contentment of your life would be that someone that you communicated with verbally or maybe through your life or through some writing, they would see the mission of God that is to be cherished and they in fact do cherish Him as the most supreme treasure of their life. Not the property, not all the, the personal belongings, not what I'm going to inherit, none of these other things. Jesus. God being the most cherished, bringing the most contentment, the most satisfaction. You can just see Mary and Joseph being determined to commit themselves to this. So, if you're facing evil, what, what's the pathway? An unexpected path. Maybe evil comes into your life in some way. My life, our life. What, what's one piece to that for survival? You, you, you can't win that, the kind of evil like Herod's got. No matter what we might think, the strength that we would have in ourselves and our numbers, that kind of evil ain't going to win in the flesh. How do you survive it? How, how do you live through it? Commitment to what brings you the most contentment, the most satisfaction in your life, which is showing people, communicating to people the greatness, the wonders of God. How do, what else can we grasp onto from Mary, from Joseph, but through Mary, and we see her, her mindset, her worldview, and her Magnificat, she has, they have, this assurance of God's active presence. God is active. God is working. A lot of people, even in today, they think, you know, if, if, if their life ended, well, God wasn't working. <laughs> a, lot of, a, a lot of Christian martyrs, does the word martyr come to ring any bells to anyone someone a lot of christians committed christians life on this earth has ended physical life has ended that doesn't mean god wasn't present god very much present in the life of the apostle paul the rest of the apostles but mary and joseph they have a deep assurance of god's presence and of God's guidance. God's, God's going to, to guide. We're, we know that God is active in the world. That's a lot different than people. Well, where was God in that situation? He kind of, he just abandoned the situation and abandoned his people. That's not what they're thinking on their way to Egypt. God is with them. God is communicating to them. But that was Mary and Joseph and there's angels in it. I'm not like them. The reason they're here is to teach us something. That God is active, God's presence present in the world, and He's willing to guide us. Now, that that guidance that God's willing to to give, it, 
is dependent in part on our obedience, our, obe our willingness to obey. If God actually, uh, actually guides us to go in a certain direction and then we disobey it, then we're likely to say, well, where was God in that situation? He just, he just didn't show up. No, He showed up. It's just that you were not willing in your stubbornness not to go in the direction, our stubbornness, my stubbornness, been there myself, not to go the direction where God is guiding. This commitment to, a commitment to what is the greatest to God's mission, commitment, and a willingness to obey when He actually does reveal His guidance. A lot of times we're not committed to God's mission. Kind of indifferent to it. Well, it seems like God's not present. Yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you aren't locked in to His mission and what He's doing. And so there, 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 there's no way, it's just not conceivable to think that Mary or Joseph would think that God is not present in their situation. Or that God would not guide them. Because God has done so much, why wouldn't He guide? He's done so much for you. I mean, I think a lot of Christians would say, He saved me from the flames of hell. Well, he's okay. He's done so much for you. Why wouldn't He guide you? They're tuned into that in the face of uncertainty with the evil of, of Herod. They know that God is present. That God is there. God, God is working. God is willing to guide and help and protect. Paul tells us, read of Paul's journey in Acts 16, the Spirit of God didn't let them go into a certain area in Finian. God moving in the apostles' life. And throughout the Scriptures, we see that God is active, God is moving, God is willing to guide and care for and protect. Protect our souls. So they have this assurance and then there's also this confidence that they have in sovereignty over all things, including the distressing presence of evil. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, has God lost control? Maybe evil rises up in the, in the world someplace, or maybe you are personally exposed to evil. Maybe we are exposed to evil. Has God lost control? No. According to the Scriptures, God has sovereignty at all times and all places. Never has God lost control. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 
For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what the what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Meaning God is sovereign over all of the affairs of the world when it seems like things may be spinning out of control. Not that that feeling would come our way in 2022, but perhaps. This things are spinning out of control, not in a place where we would like them to be. God is in control. God is sovereign. He's not surprised by anything. He sets up the nations. He takes down the nations, sets up the kings, takes down the kings. No one operates in opposition to, well, they operate in opposition to his will, but they're not successful. God's will is always accomplished because he's sovereign in all circumstances. So when they're on the, 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 the move to Egypt, they've got to be thinking in their minds. You would see, in, in, according to Mary, God is sovereign. Look what he has done in our life. Always remember, do this in remembrance of me. Always remembering what God has done in our lives. That God's done something powerful. Look how he's moved in your life, in your family's life, and moving in this direction. And it seems like the whole world is falling apart because, gosh, they've surely heard about all those children back in Bethlehem. But God is sovereign. Don't understand it. God is sovereign and he's in control and he's got his purposes in all of that. Surely brought a lot of heartache to the parents in Bethlehem and in the slaughter of those children. Don't understand. Don't understand how God would do that, but it's not up for me to me to understand it. My job is to lock in with his mission and find comfort in the sovereignty of God. So what can we do? What can we do going forward? Whatever the year brings in front of us this year or next or whatever time of life that we're in, we can seize hold of the character or the attributes of God. We can seize hold of the name of God. As I said, we began the name, meaning the character of God, who God is, seizing hold. What if there is uncertainty? What, what, is the, what if there's pressure from out? What can we do? We surely, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to have some resources that are different from the people that are not <laughs> followers of Jesus. Surely there's something that we would have. Wouldn't you think God would be willing to give His people something that those who deny Him, who reject Him, do not have? 
One thing is that we can hold strong. One thing that we have is his character and being brought into union with God, communion with God, so that we can find comfort in God's omniscience. God knows everything. There's nothing past, present, future. Not one molecule in the universe is outside of God's knowledge. He's not uncertain about anything. Having confidence. Do you have confidence in that? Do you have confidence in the omniscience, all-knowingness of God? God is, according to the scriptures, omnibenevolent. He, he is good. He is good beyond our recognition. What about all those children in Bethlehem? The evil of Herod. God uses, he allows that evil for his good purposes. God is always good, never lacking in goodness whatsoever. He is supremely good. There is nothing, there is no way God could be more good than he is right now or at any given moment in history. Do you believe that? Do you believe the goodness of God? Have you locked on the goodness of God and you are one of His sons, you are one of His daughters if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, you need to come to Jesus today. Repent of your sin, admit, of your, admit your sin, and turn towards Jesus as your Lord and Savior and committing to His goodness, omnibenevolent, great God. He's omnipotent. By now, you know, we're talking about some theological doctrines. Omnipotent, those aren't just for theological discussion. They're for us to find grounding and hope and some knowledge about God. Remember, God's shaping us so that we have a desire to know God. What is it about God that we know? That He is omnipotent. He has all power. There isn't anything any leader of any nation can do against Him or His people that He doesn't allow. Okay, their life was ended. They were martyred. Not a surprise to God. In the mind of God, their time had come when their life on this earth ended. Do you believe that about God? He's all powerful. Well, maybe it's the UN that's all powerful. Maybe it's the World Economic Forum that's all powerful. Maybe there's something out there that you can think of that's all powerful. And when we dwell on that, it brings fear, chaos, bad decisions into our life. God's all powerful. Nothing operates. That's why you want to be one with Him. One, nothing operates apart from God. And God's people are secure in God through Jesus Christ. Omnipresent. You believe that? He's everywhere. In your home. In your life. In this building. Everywhere. God is spirit. There is nowhere. There, there are no councils where God is not present. 
God has ultimate compassion for His people. Do you believe that? Ultimate compassion. God is capable and He's willing to care for His people. That doesn't mean we understand God. We read earlier, our thoughts are not His thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. A lot of questions. But God cares about His mission being fulfilled in you, in us. God is passionate about you finding the most satisfaction in your life, the most contentment in your life. That's why He is so earnest about His name through you being lifted up and exalted and praised to the nations. Can't construct that in, in a human devised a construct. It comes, rises up out of the hearts of his people so that in the warp and woof of life, we announce to the world, God is good. God is great. God's ways are beyond my understanding. That sure doesn't look right over there. Way over there. And that other nation, what's going on, that sure doesn't look right. But God's ways are, are not my ways. I'm going to find hope. I'm going to find grounding. I'm going to find joy. I'm going to find strength in my relationship with God. I'm going to lock into His mission. I'm going to let Him use me as that's the priority of my life. And I'm going to cling. I'm going to seize hold of the character of God knowing He's all-powerful. He's all good, good, good. He's always good. He's filled with grace. He also disciplines and corrects His people. And that's a good thing too. So, just looking here at this section of the Christmas story, sometimes we don't look at so much and we think about, I thought, about Mary and Joseph going to Egypt and what must have been going through their minds? Joseph going back to Galilee, going to Nazareth. They had to have a strong commitment to the sovereignty of God and that God was using them. Imagine humble servants using them in monumental, unexpected ways, an unexpected path in their life. And God is going to use you in an unexpected way this year. I'm confident of it. It's going to take you on an unexpected path. Take us on an unexpected path if we can lock in to His mission and His will to use us for His glory, for the glory of His name. Let's pray.